0: welcome
1: to the teach the geek podcast where engineer and author neil thompson talks with stem professionals about public speaking a struggle for many of us whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one you can always pick up tips on how to improve here's your host neil thompson welcome to another edition of teach the geek interviews my name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course, and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Heather Easton, and she is the president and CEO of Select Power Systems. She's a proponent for women in STEM, and she's also a blogger and speaker. I'm really interested to learn more about how she got into the industry that she's in, her interest in public speaking, and her advocacy work for women in STEM. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Heather.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: From the bit of research I did on you, I saw you got your undergraduate degree in electrical engineering. What was the motivation for that degree?
0: That's correct. Um, so my dad actually worked in the power industry, and so that got me interested in power, and uh, Electrical engineering is just a natural progression. Um, So, I got my undergrad in electrical engineering from UNC Charlotte.
1: Okay. But then I also saw you didn't stop there with degrees. You got an MBA, too. What was the motivation for that?
0: I did. Um, So, I I loved being technical and having that good foundation, uh, but I knew that I wanted to expand beyond uh, just doing technical stuff. So, that's why I wanted to do the MBA. I wanted to get into the, the business, the marketing, understanding finance and accounting. And the MBA was a good way to learn the uh, education aspects of that. And then I was able to incorporate that more into my career.
1: When you when you got the MBA, was that something that you started right after you did your undergraduate degree? Or did you work for a while and then you went to get your MBA?
0: So I worked for a while. Um, I was a non-traditional student. So I actually had my son before I even started my electrical engineering degree. And uh, then I got married and picked up three wonderful stepchildren. And uh, when I graduated with my electrical engineering degree, um, I'll be honest with you, I needed to get to work. (laughs) I needed income. So uh, I took a job, worked uh, for several years before I decided to uh, go back and start working on my MBA. And um, did that in concurrence while I was working full time uh, raising four kids. And I like to say raising husbands. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: I wonder right here that. It always makes me laugh because I always think if someone were to say the opposite, if a man were to say, I'm raising my wife, people would go crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's why I say, I, I jokingly like to say that. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 It's a joke. Yeah. To, to
0: be honest, um, my husband is a, a wonderful support system. Um, any other husband whose wife comes home and says, Hey, I'm going to walk away from this high powered career, uh, good salary, good income. And I'm going to start a business and I'm going to bootstrap it. And it might or might not work, but um, that's what I want to do. Is that okay? Um, I don't know if any other husband would have been as supportive as he was because he's like, okay, all right, go ahead. Wow. <laughs> he didn't even hesitate. So it's wonderful to have such a supportive husband. And I could not have had a full-time career um, and had kids and uh, pursued the masters and had a career without having a husband that was supportive. And uh, we really split the uh, the work of raising the kids and taking care of the house. So he uh, he's definitely uh, a major component of my success.
1: Hey, you know what? Kudos to you for going back to school after having, you know, a kid and then getting married. And I'm, I'm sure just, I mean, that that in and of itself was quite a bit of, of, of work to do. But then that you go into electrical engineering of all things that's not an easy degree to get. So you know that I commend you for, for for putting in that kind of work. I guess you you saw the the benefit of it, and then you eventually you started working. I mean you, you did start your own company at some point. But for, for the corporate jobs that you had, what kind of work did you do? Um.
0: So <clears throat> so really, what I did is I designed and built the electrical power grid. Um, and I did that for global corporations um, as well as smarter, smaller private companies. Um, so I had a, a good uh, widespread uh, knowledge base throughout the utility industry. And so uh, really just, I tell people if I did my job right and they cut their light switch on and the power came on, lights came on, I did my job. So that's uh, predominantly what I did.
1: When it comes to the, the MBA that you got, is that, that's the best way to say this. Is that the information you got from the MBA, is that information that you could have gotten from just various jobs that say, for instance, if you were in, I don't know, in sales or, or business development or marketing, or was it really, or did you learn things in the MBA that you wouldn't have learned anywhere else?
0: Um. So I'm an advocate of both. I, I think a traditional education uh, gives me a breadth of knowledge that I would not have been able to experience career-wise. Typically, in a career, you stay in a a role for a year and a half to three years before you move. Um, So with going a traditional education route, you're able to pick up more topics in that same period of time than you would have gotten on the job. Now, on the job is where you get your depth. Uh, That's where you really get your understanding of how to apply the concepts and the principles.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I, I can see that. So you, you mentioned, I didn't even realize this, but Select Power Systems is a company that you started. So did you leave the the corporate world because you, you were gonna start this business no matter what, or did you leave the corporate world for other reasons?
0: No, I left the corporate world to start Select. Um, <clears throat> it was something that um, years prior, uh, there was a rumor <clears throat> that started in the industry, uh, that I was going to start my own business and I wasn't at the time. And I was like, no, you're crazy. And I kept having phone calls from friends and they're like, Hey, I heard you're starting your own company. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, you should, you'd be really good. at <laughs> it. And um, so I kind of thought about it for a couple of years and did my research, um, you know, started putting together a business plan, seeing uh, that there was a market out there confirming that um, there was a need. And when I saw the the, the opportunity was right, um, yeah, that's when I gave my resignation and I walked away from the corporate world and started my company.
1: I was beating around the bush when I asked that last question, Heather. So i've I've done a I've done a number of these interviews now, and I've spoken to a number of female engineers who have, and some of whom have left engineering to to start other things or just you know start their own businesses. And I've also read quite a bit of what I guess they call the leaky pipeline, women coming into engineering, but then leaving at, at higher rates than men. And I guess the at least the, the prevailing reason that I, I read about anyway, is that the, the engineering profession isn't all that welcoming to, to, to women and the, the environment isn't really, I guess, conducive to having them stay. So I was just curious, is that, Did that have anything to do with your reason for leaving or were you just going to start, you were going to start your own business anyway, regardless of whether you were disgruntled or not?
0: Um, There are definitely struggles in the industry. Absolutely, 100%. Um, That did not play into me opening my company. Um, I I left the corporate world to open my company because that's what I wanted to do. Um, But I would like to to touch base on what you're talking about. Um, So there are just not that many women that graduate with an engineering degree and when they do graduate with an engineering degree um there is a percentage that never go into a technical position um you know they they graduate and they go into sales or marketing or something like that the ones that do uh decide to come into the industry um i know from my personal experience because i'm really passionate about getting Female and minorities um, into engineering and helping them to stay. So, I, I try to be an advocate. I try to reach out. I try to mentor and provide guidance. Um, and I have seen that females do tend to leave around the five to seven year mark. Um, and that does tend to coincide, not directly, but there is a correlation there, I think, of when they get married and consider having children. I don't see the industry as uh, a, as a friend of mine who um, has a company and and she actually makes devices for nursing mothers in the industry. Um, You know, she says uh, it's not mommy friendly. Um, And so one of the things she's doing with her company is uh, trying to create uh, and sell devices that will help mothers, uh, at least with the, the nursing aspect of it. And so, you know, I try to definitely reach out um, and and to give guidance. Uh, you know, I had four kids and I had a career. Um, it can be done. It is difficult. There are biases there, um, but you know, it's not impossible. And we need women and we need minorities in this industry. Uh, and we need to keep them moving through the career chain and 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 moving up the talent pipeline. Because that's the only way we're going to change the C-suite, you know, and to change the boardroom is to get, you know, women and minorities, the experience of moving through the career chain. Um, And so we need them to to stay. And it's important because we need their perspective. We need their talent. Um, Another factor of that is COVID. Um, I've had. Uh, more mentors than I would like to say or mentees than I would like to say um, that have decided to actually pause their career and stay home and homeschool their children because of COVID. Um, And I completely uh, understand that position. And if I was them, I might make the same exact call. Um, But it is more difficult in a technology based career to do a pause leave the industry for a couple of years and then come back because technology progresses and it changes. Um, So that's one of the things I'm also looking at is, you know, when that generation is ready to come back to the workforce, uh, what can me and my counterparts do to help support them? What can we put in place to help them with that onboarding process and get them back up to speed so they can rejoin the workforce when they're ready?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That's a that's a really good point. It's not it's not one I even thought. Of. Well, I did hear that you know more and more. Uh, it seems to be, at least from what I understand, mothers are leaving the the workforce to, to go to to stay at home and homeschool their children. I'm always kind of curious as if the workplace was more, I maybe mean, perhaps more accommodating, would they have made that choice, or were they going to make that choice regardless? Do you, do you have any sense on that?
0: I do think companies need to do more. Um, One of the things that I try to do with select is practice what I preach. Um, So we actually try to be as flexible as we can for everyone, uh, both women and, you know, men, um, because I think men are an important component of raising children too. Um, So we need to give them the flexibility that they need to be home when they need to be home. So, Um, what we do is we actually offer the opportunity to work remote so you know you can work from home Um, they're four hours of nine to four so you know if you need to do a a doctor's appointment in the morning um, and then work later uh, maybe after you put the kids to bed you can or if the opposite is true you want to start early because your kids got a soccer or a baseball game uh, that you want to be able to attend um, you can do that. So as long as you're available between the four hours of nine to four, you can shift your schedule to get your 40 in, whatever can, is convenient for you and your family situation at that moment. And it's flexible. Um, so it, it can change depending on what you have going on in your life. And the feedback that I get from my team is that that really does make it easier for them to stay productive, stay part of, you know, technical work and environment, also meet their role as a spouse and uh, a parent um so i think policies and things like that would definitely make it easier for more moms to stay in the industry
1: yeah i mean another thing that i just think about it you had mentioned that some women when they come out of of engineering school they don't they never work in engineering they'll go into sales or marketing or, or something else and i get the sense that if that continues to be the case then it's going to be even more difficult to, to move uh, to, to to change those uh, those I guess those C-suite positions for them to be more diverse because you still have this this cohort of women that don't go into engineering so if they don't go into engineering they obviously can't go into those C-suite positions do you do you see that as being a, a potential issue or is it just you know they got an engineering degree they chose something else and so be it
0: no I do think it's a challenge I do think it's a challenge um and and I think it's important for those of us that have stayed in the industry um you know to be an example uh to show them that hey you can have a technical career um one of the challenges uh you know just kind of generalize women we we tend to be more social um and so you just went through four years of school where at least in my case i was the only female in the class and um then you're looking at starting a career where you might be the only female engineer in the office. Um, and so it's a little daunting, uh, you know, because women do like to, to have that socializ- socialization. They like to have their friends. They like to have their network and, uh, you know, that, that support system for them. So I understand that some of them look at this and they're like, you know, I really want to, to go somewhere where I can have friends and I, I can, um, you know, have that uh, group of, uh, peer network. Um, and it is more challenging, uh, when you are the only female in a group, uh, to find that support system, you have to be a little more, um, you have to be a little more flexible and where you find your tribe, as they like to say. Um, but it is there and, uh, you, you can definitely find your support system. Um, And and there are people like me that are out there that would love to be there to help, you know, the next generation to support them. Uh, I just had a phone call yesterday and uh, the person called and she said, hey, you got 15 minutes. I just need to vent. I just need to complain <laughs> about what's going on. I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> I said, "I'm here for you. Complain all you want." And at the end of the call, um, you know, I asked her. I said, "Are you good, or do you need help?" She said, "No, I just wanted to say it out loud."
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a good thing you didn't offer any kind of solution. It's like this, is, this was not the purpose of this call. You just exactly. you pick up, you pick up, and you listen. That's it. And they put the then put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I had a guest on earlier. Uh, this was probably months ago, and to this day, even when I think about it, I just it just marks the difference, perhaps between, between between men and women, or maybe just between her and I. But she was working at a job, and she worked in a lab. And but the majority of people in the lab were women, and she said that she eventually quit that job. Because they never invited her to lunch, and I remember thinking, and she said she would try so hard to ingratiate themselves to where she would even bring in stuff to, for them to eat and stuff like snacks and things. And they still wouldn't invite her to lunch. So I think maybe that there's there's something to it that. Perhaps women, like you said, are more sociable and really want that you know those work friends. Because I remember thinking to myself, man, I hope I don't get invited to lunch. I'm an introvert. I just want to sit like that. I don't, don't invite me no damn lunch. Leave me alone. But to her, it was like it was a big deal. So I think, I think you're onto something. So maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's an issue for that, perhaps more women face than men, for sure. When it comes to the, the, the speaking that you do, are there certain topics that you like to speak about? And and if so, what are they?
0: Uh, So I really have a passion about women and minorities and engineering and technology fields. So that's predominantly what I speak about. Um, I also do some speaking and some panels around the power industry, electric utilities, renewables, oil and gas, things like that, um, from an industry perspective. But uh, what I enjoy and what really gets me going is when I'm able to uh, connect with other women entrepreneurs that are engineers. Um, You know, just last week I got an email from a female engineer in Anchorage, Alaska, and she had heard one of the talks that I gave. And she found me on LinkedIn and sent me an email and she said, you know, hey, I just wanted to thank you for talking about some of the things that you talked about, because it's nice to know that there are other women out there that can relate to what I'm going through. And so that's really what I enjoy speaking about. Um, That's really what I get excited about. Um, The industry stuff. Yeah, it's important for what I do, but I, I enjoy trying to support women and minorities in STEM
1: nice and if she eventually gets your number she can call you to vent And she, she knows that you'll you'll <laughs> you'll be you'll be on the line <laughs> you it <laughs> yeah when it comes also when it comes to I guess to, to public speaking is that something you've always been good at and if not what did you do to get better at it
0: oh no um i was not good at public speaking at all um And that's probably something, you know, the, the personality of an engineer, um, we're, we're good at numbers, (laughs) uh, but but we lack some of the, uh, social graces and, and things like that. Um, so you really have to train and learn. So, um, I identified early on that that was something I needed to work on and it's something you have to practice. Um, it's a skill that, uh, doesn't come naturally for everyone, especially for me. Um, so I took. Public speaking class in college. I did postmasters. I um, took uh, additional classes for um, presentations. Um, and as hard as it was to do, anytime uh, I had an opportunity to present in my career, I always offered. Um, you know, hey, can can I do this? Can I do that? Um, I would give technical presentations at conferences um, and things like that. Um, so it's not something that comes natural to me. Um, I'm a little more like an introvert, like you, I think. Um, and so it's just something you identify as a weakness, and then you work on it, and then you continue to practice because if you don't do it often, you do get out of practice.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Heather. You can you can read all the books and look at all the uh, videos, watch all the or listen to all the podcasts you want, but if you don't actually get out there and do it, you're not going to get better at it. So. Kudos to you to so even when even in instances when you didn't feel like doing it, you did it anyway just because you saw the benefit of becoming better at public speaking. When it comes to the presentations that you do, do you have a process for putting them together, and if so, what is it?
0: Um, so it really depends on what I'm what I'm doing. Um, technical presentations, I usually almost like write a technical report. And then I take that and I create an outline, and then I put together the slides, um, and then I uh, fill in the narrative around it. Um, So it starts with the data and ends with the narrative. Um, When I do speaking around supporting women and minority in STEMs, I do the opposite. Um, With that, I start with the narrative. I start with the story. Um, And then from there, you know, I I take it back the other way to to create the slides um, from that. So it's, it's interesting how uh, the two are similar and that I'm giving, uh, you know, a speech and communicating information, but I approach them two different ways.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard it, never heard it explained that way before, but it, it kind of makes sense. But I mean, with the both, the, what they both have in common is the, is the narrative or the story aspect. For the longest while, I, I wasn't even, it, it didn't even occur to me to include any kind of narrative or story in a technical presentation but if any kind of presentation needs it it's a technical presentation because they can be boring as hell i mean <laughs> you you really? you you've, you've, you've given those presentations at conferences you, i'm sure you've been in the audience at those presentations as well i mean you can't go to those you, you can't typically go to those presentations unless you have an energy drink an energy drink with you or a coffee or you're falling asleep easy and and it's 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 really important actually in in those type of instances to in in view or infuse stories into those type of presentations just to keep people's attention and keep them awake.
0: Absolutely. Because the goal is to communicate and they're not going to hear anything if they're asleep and they're snoring, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, especially the snoring's loud. It's like, you're, you're drowning up the speaker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned that because that did happen one time early on in a presentation I was given. There was somebody on the second row that started snoring loud enough that I could hear from the pulpit that I was oh. standing at giving oh, wow. the presentation. <laughs> That's when I realized um, I needed to to work up my speaking skills and, and network more <laughs> stories into it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm sure that I kind of threw you off a bit like what the hell is that oh shoot I get, yeah, it looks like I gotta get better at this if <laughs> these people awake oh right no problem so so you're giving these presentations do you ever get nervous before presentations and if so how do you deal with your nerves
0: I do I do still get nervous um, I, I still get nervous because even though I've worked on it and I've practiced to get better um, I still know it's a weakness of mine um, so I'm like acutely aware of the fact that um, I I could do a horrible job (laughs) and uh, that's not what I want. You know, I want to make sure that I do a good job so that, you know, I want to inspire people. Um, I want to give each and every person that's listening something to take away from what I'm speaking about. And so I've got to do my best job to do that. So that's a lot of pressure that I put on myself to do a good job. Um, sometimes, uh, I I think it was Amy Cuddly. Um, she did a presentation, um, I I forget what it was called. I think it was called the Superman and Superwoman pose, um, where you're supposed to make yourself as large as possible and, you know, stretch your arms and your legs out and, uh, you know, kind of like, um, you're getting ready to attack something or, or take on the world. Right. Um, and I know it's totally psychological, but sometimes I do that, and sometimes it works. <laughs> um, sometimes I go out there, and I'm still nervous, and I'm still scared, <laughs> and I'm not able to get the nerves under control. Um, but, you know, as I, as I start to talk, usually the nerves subside and the butterflies go away.
1: Yeah, I've heard about that, uh, the Superman pose, too, and I've always kind of been curious as to whether it works. But you're, you're telling me that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Do you get any sense as to why it would work sometimes and not other times?
0: I think for me, it just depends on how much anxiety I've trumped up before I try it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, this boy probably doing shit right now. <laughs> <This> lady lied. I was <laughs> supposed, supposed, supposed to be calm now. I'm still sweating. <laughs> yeah, you know what? But honestly, when I think about nerves, I just think about the the fact that if you're not nervous that's likely a sign that you don't care about what you're talking about so the people that are nervous they actually care that the, the that the audience gets what they're saying and that they you know that their message gets out there in the way that they wanted to get out there if you didn't care then I maybe mean, if, if you weren't nervous you probably didn't care what what people got out of your presentation and you probably didn't care that there was a guy on the second floor snoring <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i don't care i'm i'm just getting this done and getting the hell out of here man when's lunch <laughs> <laughs> you've offered some great tips i really like the one about how you kind of focused your or your your process kind of differs based on the on the talk that you give so technical it's more data to and then driving toward the narrative and then for the, the speaking with with uh, with with women and minorities it's, it's the opposite so that, that's that's that shows some i guess some foresight in knowing that the the because the audiences are different perhaps the the way that you go about you know approaching putting the presentation together should differ too. So I think that's that's pretty smart. And then, you know, practice is, is really important too. And then perhaps the the Superman pose or Superwoman pose, at least sometimes, can help. <laughs> but Other times if it doesn't, then hey, you got to find something else to do. Are there any other tips that you could offer in helping people become more effective at public speaking?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that it's very important that women and minorities use their voice we have a voice we have important things to say um, you know we bring a, a special perspective that we need in the industry and so please uh use your voice to speak out um you know be it just to support your coworker and to, to give them a little bit of encouragement um please consider also public speaking um a great first step is a panel uh, where you're up there, you're not by yourself, uh, you've got support, um, you know, and so if, if you're nervous, start with, start with some panels um, and then you can progress uh, to do more direct topics, uh, speeches that way. Um, but I think it is important that we use our voice um, to make a difference because the, the motto and uh, thing that drives me um, is, you know, we have hashtag power to make a difference. And, you know, I, I ask my team every week, you know, what do you do to make a difference? And I think it's important that we speak up and that we support each other.
1: You know, that's a really good tip. I never even thought of that before. But being on a panel first, it kind of takes the pressure off because you're not on the stage by yourself. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's other people there, too. And hopefully you don't say anything foolish. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but that, but it's, a, it's a, that's an excellent tip. Thank you for offering that. Is there anything else that that you'd like to talk about or things that you're working on
0: um you know i would like to just say that uh i'm a huge advocate if anyone uh would like to reach out to me i am on linkedin my contact information is on linkedin um so feel free to reach out um i ask me anything um i'm here to to give advice guidance um, I can tell you what not to do because I've made mistakes <laughs> and you can learn from my mistakes and hopefully not repeat them. Um, I can tell you what's worked for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, I can be here just to be a support, a coach, a cheerleader, or I can be here to just let you vent. <laughs> um, but what, whatever people need, um, uh, wherever they're at, they have support and I'm here to help. And if I can't help, I'll promise you I've got somebody in my network that can. So feel free to reach out anytime.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Heather. You you know, learn from other people's mistakes so you don't have to make them make new mistakes. Yeah, I'm I'm a firm believer in that too. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Tiki Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.